This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and then we'll jump in in Isaiah 28. Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters he cast down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be the crown of glory, and a diadem of beauty to the, the remnant of his people, and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast? For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, for by a people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear, and the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you from morning by morning. It will pass through by day and by night and it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. And to work his work, alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat and rows and barley in its proper place and immer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cart wheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No. He does not thresh it forever. When he drives his car wheel over it with his horse, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Um, to say almost every Sunday, thank you for revealing yourself in your word. Oh, there's so much of your glory and majesty in the things that are created. There's so much of your, your beauty in, in those who are made in your image, Lord. Um, but where we find the clearest expression of who you are is in your word. Uh, 
Lord. And, and it's not just words on a page. It's word that was made flesh. It was word that uh, walked among us and um, died a death we deserved so that your word could not be a terror, but so that your word could be grace and kindness and love and your word could be a priest uh, who is not stumbling over wine, but is interceding for us daily on our behalf in the heavenly temple today, Lord. So I thank you for that word, Jesus Christ. Pray that as we look at Isaiah, as we try to see Israel as an example for us this morning, Lord, help us not be distracted by uh, whatever it is that's on our mind. Help us put aside the things that are drawing us away from your word and help us be comforted and encouraged and find peace in what you have said. We need your spirit to do that, and we know he is more than capable of quelching the distractions in our mind and drawing us into your presence. So please do that for us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So we're gonna uh, talk about a little bit about repose. Um, if you have one of the Isaiah Bible journals, totally snaggy one if you want, there's one over there. <laughs> Uh, if you have one of the Isaiah Bible journals, circle this verse. Um, if you look at uh, verse 28, chapter, verse 28, sorry, chapter 28, verse 12. Chapter 28, verse 12, and also chapter 28, verse 16. Uh, those are sort of connected ideas, and we're going to talk about this idea of, of repose. And it says in verse chapter 28, verse 12. If you look at Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 12, it says, to whom he has said, God has spoken this. He says, this is rest. I will give rest to the weary and this is repose and they would not hear. This is rest and repose. And I think uh, I have the definition of repose on the slide, Cole, and I, didn't, I wrote it down if, if not. Repose is a state of rest, sleep, or tranquility. Repose is a state of rest, sleep, or tranquility. Tranquility is a, a I feel like whenever you have a definition of something that has a big word like tranquility, you like have to then go define the word that's defined by the, you know, until you like go down the rabbit trail enough to know. Uh, tranquility is like calm. A state of calm, which when I walked in, I saw that the art back here, you can see above the picture says a tranquil place. Yeah, a nice calm place, which is interesting that a tranquil place means waves and stuff like that, but you know, we could take, take up the interpretation of the art uh, with the artist. Looks really nice though. So repose, he says, this is rest, Give rest to the weary. This is repose, yet they would not hear. And if you're listening to the, the context of that chapter, what they're not hearing is the word of the Lord. God is communicating to them his word, and he's saying, I'm giving you repose. I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you a state of tranquility. I'm trying to give you a measure of peace. And uh, I'd encourage you to maybe just draw a line then to chapter, to, to verse 16 in the same chapter. It says, whoever believes will not be in haste. Amen. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Haste is almost like the opposite of repose. You are not tranquil and calm if you're in a hurry. You're, you're not, you don't have a measure of peace in a, a state of Sleep if you're in haste. You're, you're hurrying up to do something. You're hurrying up to get somewhere. You're, you're scrambling in a sense. And I, I said connect those two verses because it says whoever believes will not be in haste. Because these themes are kind of going together. God is communicating to his people in Isaiah. He's saying, I'm sharing my word with you. I'm communicating to you so that you would believe or trust or have faith in what I'm saying, and that would give you a state of tranquility. That would give you repose. 
So this morning, we're going to talk about what removes repose. What removes repose. And that's just hard to say out loud. And I think, uh, think about that. What takes away your tranquility? makes you in haste? The group's so small, I almost want people to raise their hand. But just think about that. What removes your repose? And that probably can be a wide variety of things. Um, my to-do list for the day being too long even if I'm the one that made it and made it up, which is absurd, this is the trap I fall into, removes my repose. I am no longer tranquil and calm when I measure the amount of time I have in a day and the amount of things I have to get done (laughs) that I project on myself. Um, I had some of the, you guys were at my house, children not napping, right? That, that, that removes a little bit of tranquility in the room. I mean, maybe not. I think, you know, kind of depends on the day. Depends on how much rest mom and dad got. Mom and dad can be pretty tranquil even when, when uh, the child hasn't rested all the way. Um, it can be more difficult things. It can be watching someone else suffer. That can, that can remove my, my sense of tranquility. That's difficult. I can take that away. It can be uncertainty as we look ahead and say, what is gonna happen? How is this gonna work out? That can remove my sense of tranquility. That can remove my repose. And those are all things that can take that away. God is saying, if you believe what I'm saying, If you listen to what I am saying, I'm offering you repose. I'm offering you rest. I want you to have tranquility if you believe the words that I'm communicating to you. And so in this passage, there's three things that I think remove repose. And since remove repose is an alliteration, I couldn't help but alliterate all the other things. Um, The three things are competing crowns, Right, this is cheesy, but roll with it. Bible boredom and prideful plans. I feel like this could be a, a what's that, Veggie Tales episode right here, but just gonna have to bear with me on the, on the cheesy alliterations. The things that remove our repose, the things that keep us from having a sense of tranquility are competing crowns, Bible boredom, and prideful plans. So we're gonna hover on this uh, for most, for the, all, all the sermon, basically. Um, and I have a couple of passages I want to hit up as we look at the first verse, because we got a huge chapter here, and we're gonna have kind of a, a, a big overview. We're not gonna be able to go line by line by line, um, because you guys probably don't wanna be here for an hour and a half. Um, we're gonna hit some big sections, and I think these three sections, competing crowns, Bible boredom, and prideful plans sort of give us a, an overview of what's happening in this chapter. Why they're not listening, why they don't have rest, why they're in haste, um, and, and ultimately we can learn uh, from Israel. We can learn from the example of the people of God and say, where are these things happening that take away my sense of tranquility? And how can I then turn from those? Because as the series title says, the Lord waits. The Lord is waiting to be gracious for us. And he's saying, how can you turn from these things and embrace him so that we can have a a measure of tranquility? So look at uh, chapter 28, verse one. It says, ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. Now, it seems like from the previous chapter that we, we sort of switch 
from how what God is going to do in Israel to we switch then to this this kind of throwing Ephraim under the bus. And it it's hard uh, in a book this big to sort of connect all the pieces together. Uh, we're not going to turn there, but if you write down in your Bibles, maybe even at the beginning of Isaiah, Micah and Amos are two lesser prophets that speak during the time, partially during the time of Isaiah. So Micah and Amos help us understand a little bit about Ephraim. You could also write uh, chapter seven next to your, uh, this chapter. Chapter seven talks a little bit about Ephraim as well. Ephraim was uh, one of the tribes that when the kingdom split was against Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem. And when, when Syria came in, uh, when, when there was uh, where exactly the empire that's being referenced in this chapter is difficult, but when there, was, when there was judgment coming and there was an outside empire that came and kind of took everyone away, there was a ton of people that got, that got carted off to a whole other country. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies naked for three years and says, this is how you're gonna go when they come and take you away. So when that happens... The proud crown of Ephraim, Ephraim is that, uh, that uh, tribe, that, that area that's against Judah. The proud crown of Ephraim is the city Samaria. Because they sort of outlast, they sort of have a measure of success. They're like, look at all of this judgment that came. Look at all these people that got taken away. We are here standing. We handled it. And it's interesting that in Micah and Amos, Ephraim is sort of known for its opulence. It's sort of known for being extra. It's known for just eat, drink, and be merry because we're so awesome and we're so comfortable and we're so good with everything that's going on. And so here in Isaiah, he's calling them out and saying, hey, the proud crown of Ephraim is a city, Samaria, that thinks they got everything figured out. The proud crown of Ephraim is the, it says the, uh, the head of the rich valley. It's because it was, it was up on a hill and there was a valley where things just grew very well. And they're saying, you think you have it all together. You think that you're comfortable because you're wealthy and you sort of survive some of this, the, this judgment that came and you are just totally fine with all the goods and the glories in the world. And when he says proud crown, it, it, uh, it's just like we would think. It's, it's this glorious, beautiful, wealthy piece that would sit on the head. It's, a, it's, a, it's the thing that is uh, drawn towards. It's this thing that's, we see as the source of the authority of the king or the, the, the wealth of the country. So he's saying, you, you have the city that you're proud of, that you're resting in, that you think is so glorious, and so you're just kind of okay with whatever is going on. In verse two, two through four, God says, but here's what I'm gonna do. Because you're so proud of your earthly wealth, your earthly success, I'm gonna wipe that all away. Like a first ripe fig. The idea is that uh, the tree, you would, you would walk by and say, oh, it's fig season. You know, I know there's a fig. There hasn't been one on the tree. And because I see it, I'm just gonna pluck it off and consume it. And he says a couple of different times, he says it's the, it's the fading glory. Look at verse four. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty. Verse one, the fading flower of its glorious beauty. And he contrasts that in verse five. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be like crown of glory. A crown of glory. The competing crowns, the competing spheres of our lives that take away our repose are either something fading, which is everything in this world, or something eternal, which is God himself. 
Verse five, look at what he says. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. And he kind of expands on it in verse six. A spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment. It's, just a, it's this idea that God himself will be the, the source by which we get discernment for right and wrong. God will be the, the spirit of justice for those of, who judge, who, who discern between right and wrong. And, a, and strength to those who turn back battle at the gate. It's like for those who are able to persevere and, and push back the impending armies back to their own gate, they will have strength from the eternal crown of glory that is God himself. So there's these two crowns. One is eternal, God himself, where we can receive strength and wisdom to discern and glory and beauty that's never fading, ever. Amen. And there's lesser crown of glory, which is any of the things in this world, the things that we get comfortable with. So when you think about what takes away your repose, when you think about what removes your tranquility, is that rooted in something that's fading? Or are we more concerned about eternal things? Is that rooted in something that's fading or are we more concerned about eternal things? Think about work, it's an easy one. Are we more concerned about how we honor and glorify God and consider him in our jobs or are we more concerned about the next promotion? What consumes our thoughts? The, the fading reality, should we get promotions? That's great, hope you get promotions. But whatever that gives you is ultimately a fading reality. How you honor the Lord, how you consider him, how work draws you closer to him is something that's eternal. You're gonna worship him in eternity forever for the glory that you brought him as a believer in the workplace. Which one consumes our thoughts more? Are we more concerned with the fading crown of glory of this world or the eternal everlasting crown of glory of our heavenly father? Amen. I mean, home, home was one that I was thinking about that convicts me. Um, am I more concerned about the cleanliness and the order of the space that I'm in or the opportunity to love and consider my spouse or the people that are at my house. Am I more concerned with the aesthetics of the fading glory of my place that I live or the fact that that's meant to be a space that I can welcome in the stranger and glorify God with what I have? Like what weighs on me more? What, what's the, what is the crown of glory? What's the thing that I'm drawn to? Something that's fading or something that's eternal and forever? And if we're drawn to something that's fading, then we're gonna lose our tranquility. We're, we're gonna lose our repose. We're not, we're not trusting in and leaning on what God has said and what he has called us to. We're, we have something else that is only gonna last for so long. It's the problem with Ephraim is they had had a measure of success and it became their crown of glory. And because God loves his people, he brought in a measure of destruction so that he said, in that day, now I will become the crown of glory. The next section, Bible boredom. 
This is another thing that takes away our repose. I don't think I've ever heard that word used in a sentence other than reading this section here. It takes away our, our measure of tr- tranquility. He's talking about Ephraim out here and their success, but he sort of turns the table in verse seven where he says, these also reel with wine. He's looking inward now at Judah and Jerusalem. This is the one whose tables are filled with filthy vomit with no space left. It's kind of a graphic image there. And commentators are debating on whether Isaiah is intentionally being extra or there just was this kind of partying with the priests and the prophets. Uh, We don't know. But he says, these also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priests and the prophet reel with strong drink. They're swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. The, the, the priest and the prophets were the ones who helped communicate God's word to the people. Their whole job was to communicate what God was saying. And the, the priests were the ones who were saying, this is holy, this is not holy. This is clean, this is unclean. There, there, they were, there was discernment, there was judgments in the clean and the holy things. And it's the the priest and the prophet's job to communicate these things so that the people of God could draw near to God, could worship God, could could enjoy the benefits and the blessings of discerning what is right and wrong, what is holy and unholy. And, And they're saying they're struggling to do that because they're caught up in drinking wine and strong drink. But look at, as he goes on, he kind of hints at the main problem here. It says, to whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from milk, those taken from the breast. He's like, is that all I have left? Kids? He says, because for, verse 10, it's precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Amen. It's like the Jewish version of yada, 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 yada. The prophet and the priest are just like, whatever, God's word, yada, 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 yada. The people who are supposed to be helping discern what God is saying and how they draw near to him are bored with scripture, are over it. The Lord is saying, this is rest. Give rest to the weary. This is repose. This is what's going to give your people a sense of tranquility. This is what's going to bring you peace. This is what's going to draw you into the presence of God. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Yada, 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 yada. I think the scary, the scary thing about that verse is what it says at the end of 13. Why is the Bible bored to them? So that they may go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. Judgment. Judgment. Now, um, next on my reading list is the book of Numbers. It is really hard to get through the book of Numbers. I am not excited about it. I'm a little like, yada, 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 can I get to the part that I understand? There are, scripture is difficult. We're, what, how, uh, how <laughs> I mean, we're, uh, Ben did a, uh, an Instagram thing uh, that has like a bajillion views and likes. You know, it just keeps coming up on my phone. <laughs> People keep liking it. And it's like, what, 60 seconds long? <laughs> like, that's how we like to consume bits of information. 
When we changed tweets from 140 characters to 280, people were like, oh my gosh, it's so long. <laughs> Instagram is so popular because it's pictures. And the ones, the pictures we like are six or less words, you know? Like, this is a lot of information. And when we're used to consuming little tiny bits, it's hard. It's not easy. He's not saying that, like, it's immediately intuitive. But when, we, when I think about my um, listening to numbers coming up next on my like, Bible reading plan, what's my attitude behind that? Whose fault is it that that's hard? The Lord, who's determined to communicate to us, not in 30-second snippets, but in big books or small letters, is it his fault or is it mine? And I think when we realize that our lack of understanding our lack of being drawn to even something as the book of Numbers, I genuinely believe that through the Spirit, through the gifts that God has given us in the church, whether it's teachers or commentators or other preachers, I genuinely believe that the book of Numbers can be something that I am drawn to and see it as glorious and majestic and gives me hope and peace and ultimately repose. I believe that. I don't have time at the moment to dive into numbers because I'm in Isaiah and it's also gigantic. <laughs> and I think there's discernment in saying, how do I apply myself to scripture? Do I have a problem and I flip it open to the places where I want to get the answers I need? Or do I humbly come before it and say, this is the creator of the universe speaking directly to me and I'm struggling to understand what he's saying and I'm saying, Lord, help me see the glory and majesty in your word. Give me wisdom. Let me go to others and say, I need help. Help me apply myself to your word because I believe your word is what will give me repose. If you have talked to me about reading scripture in any measure, I think a really good place to start is to find a small book, because let's not go from tweets to Isaiah, even though we're in it right now. Get a small book like Colossians, a gospel, it's a narrative, and just spend some time reading it over and over again. And ask the Lord, how often do you, before you open your Bible, do you pray, Lord, your spirit can make me love this. Change my wicked heart so that I desire your word. Amen. God gives grace to those who are humble. But if we say, I'm having a problem today, Lord, how can you fix it? He works against the pride. And I think that this is a little warning flag to us to say, if scripture is boring, and man, there are parts of it that are just tough, it's a perfect opportunity for us to humble ourselves because the Lord waits to be gracious. He loves that his people would say, man, Lord, I want to be attracted and drawn to your word. I want to understand what you're saying. The Lord loves that. He's waiting for that. Go to him and he's gonna answer that for you and make his word not yada, yada, yada. He's gonna make his word the thing that gives you peace. The thing that makes sense of his creation. The thing that, as he says in verse 16, is a sure foundation. 
He wants to make his word a sure foundation. And when you have a sure foundation, you have a lot more tranquility. The last thing that I think gets in the way, what removes our repose, what, what gets in the way of our tranquility is prideful plans. Prideful plans. I think um, this one is probably the hardest one for me because that's where my heart is. Um, there's a, the strength finder talent themes thing, right? Can't. I mean, I, maybe I'll go a Sunday without referencing some kind of personality test. <laughs> but one of them is like strategic, and I have that one. And the negative to that one is you paralyze yourself with planning. <laughs> like, when I spend more time planning than actually doing, uh, I know I have a problem. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I have a problem. Uh, and so Isaiah in this section is, is sort of like making, uh, he's being a little bit extra because he's trying to show us the prideful plans that the people are making. He's trying to show us what gets in the way of them believing and having peace and having tranquility. And look at what he says in verse 15, or four, we'll start with 14. It says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, and he, he's sort of being extra, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death in Sheol or the grave. We have made an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. He's, he's basically saying, you think that you have it all under control. You think that you have made a deal with death. You're so confident in your, your ability to do things that you're like, I don't even care what God is going to do. I've made a covenant with death. We have an agreement. It's not going to harm me. And he's, he's sort of being extra about how they're so prideful about the plans that they make. He says on uh, verse 22, he says, now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. And if you want to write verse five, chapter five, verse 19 in that section, chapter five, verse 19 is a good reference there. On verse 22, he says, therefore do not scoff, Flip a, quite a few pages back. 5 verse 19 says, Woe to those, verse 19, who say, Let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. And let it come that we may know it. That's, not only are they prideful, that they have somehow cheated death, and they, they've, they've somehow been able to just sort of figure it out, God is saying, I will destroy the pride. I will, I, will, I will tear down this fading crown of glory. And they say, bring it. Show me. Yeah, that's scary. But think about times where you've got it all mapped out. You know how your day is going to go. You know what your three-month plan is. I'm more a right now, first, next few hours kind of guy, but some people are more long-term planners. And you've mapped all this out, whatever time frame it is, and some circumstance comes that's completely outside of your control and just shatters all of that. My first response is, Lord, your plan must have been different. I guess this is what we're going to do. False. It wrecks you. You might as well shake your fist at God. I had a covenant with death, Lord. Why did you change everything? Why did you mess up this plan? 
Why did you bring these things into my life that were definitely not part of what is on my Outlook calendar? I think our, in our pride, in our pride, we have too much confidence in what's gonna happen later today and what's gonna happen tomorrow and what's gonna happen next week and what's gonna happen next year. And, and God loves his people. God's trying to, to give us repose. He's trying to give us a measure of tranquility. And so he's, he's bringing things into our life to destroy that, to mess that up, to, to shake it up so that we're humbled, so that we say, Lord, you have a better plan. Lord, Lord you know how to orchestrate my life you know that I can, I can make plans, but I will hold them loosely because you are sovereign, you are good, you are glorious, and I want you to be the thing that gives me stability. I want whatever you bring into my life, the thing that makes me have tranquility. I think that's why he says, In verse 19, when he takes these things away, the idea that God would take these things away at the end of 19 is it will be sheer terror to understand the message. Sheer terror. Which if we go back to verse 16, he's saying, believe in the, this foundation that I have laid, behold, I'm the one who's laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. The, he's saying, I'm building my kingdom. I'm the one that's laid a precious cornerstone. And, and if you, if this is ringing in your head at all, this comes First Peter chapter two, if you wanna write that down right there. First Peter chapter two connects that directly to Christ. Uh, we have all these prideful plans because we think that we are king and under control. And God is saying, that is not gonna give you peace. That is not gonna give you tranquility. I've put someone on the throne. <laughs> I, I've actually raised up the son of God who has done everything for you and is now sitting in power through the Holy Spirit on his throne, orchestrating out his kingdom exactly how it needs to be done. Amen. He is the perfect planner. He is the one with all authority. And if he's the one you trust in, if you, you see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ on the throne, ruling and reigning and building his kingdom, if he is the one that is your sure foundation, you're not gonna be in haste. You ain't gonna stress about it. There's no need. We have the most powerful, we have the most loving, we have the most wise king ruling and reigning today over the kings of the earth. So when you bring something into your life that rattles your plans and your hope is in him, you don't have to be in haste. You don't have to rush. You don't have to panic and refix everything. You can say, Lord, this is what you are doing. Help me trust you. Help me trust you. And as you grow in believing in him, as you grow in trusting in what God is doing, you're gonna have more repose. You're gonna have a, a more state of tranquility. He kind of ends this section here with an illustration that I think is, hopefully it is encouraging. Because we can talk in broad strokes um, and Israel is, is like a, is a, or Isaiah, I keep saying Israel. Isaiah is like a, a really big picture of what God is doing with his people. Um, and we sort of summarized that last week. But I like 
what he says in the last section because he really kind of narrows it in. And, and he's trying to give us an illustration that says, this is not big picture stuff that's insignificant to you. I'm actually carefully sowing, tilling up the ground. I'm actually carefully spreading the seed. I'm actually particularly threshing things out. I'm using the right tool for the right job. I'm particular about the way I'm growing fruit and building my kingdom for the individuals that I care about, for my people. And this is what he tries to encourage us in 23. He's saying, give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. It's like, don't, don't push me aside and be bored with this. Listen to what I'm saying because this is where rest and repose come from. He says, does he who plow for sowing plow continually? Does he continue to open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put the wheat in rows and barley in its proper place? In Immer at the border. He's saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna farm, there's a measure of destruction. You have to till up the ground, but do you do that forever? Is that can you just keep destroying the ground and expect there to be crops? No. That's silly. There's a time for a measure of destruction. There's a time for sort of rattling things around with my people. And there's a time for sowing. There's a time for nurturing. 26 says, for he's rightly instructed. His God teaches him. It's like, this is just how you farm. He goes on and says that dill is not threshed with a threshing, threshing sledge. It's this idea, this heavy instrument is too much for, for dill. Nor is cartwheel rolled over with cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick, a smaller stick, and, and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. There's more things you have to do. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horse, he does not crush it. Verse 29 says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is a wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. The same God that ordained the processes of nature. The same God that enables us in his image to till the ground and produce life, both through destruction and through nurture. To be particular about we harvest particular grains or particular spices. The same God that's given you and I in his image the wisdom to, to take the earth and the things in the earth and to create something as ridiculous as a smartphone, that we image him, the same God is doing that with you in your life. If we know how to farm, he knows how to work in your life. He's wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Wonderful in counsel. Excellent in wisdom. And he's communicating to you this morning. To me, this week. He's saying, this is rest. This is repose. Don't be caught up in the temporal when you could be focused on the eternal. Recognize that you may not have the right attitude about my word. And if you love my word, lean into it. That's where you'll find my promises and my character. And don't get tripped over your pride. Because the Lord is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Our series is titled The Lord Waits. 
says he waits to be gracious to you. He's not revealing these things about how we fall short to smother us in the ground. He's revealing these things so that we would turn from them, embrace him. He waits to be gracious to you. He loves that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good character. Lord, as you reveal who you are, man, there's a measure of weight and conviction as we see who we are not. Lord, I pray that your spirit would humble us. I pray that we would be brought low so that we could appreciate and understand how you have raised us up in Christ. Lord, I pray that in our pride and our boredom, our infatuation with things that are temporal, as you, as you are particularly working the soil of our lives, Lord, and planting these seeds, Lord, I pray that you would use your spirit to draw us towards what is eternal, to draw us towards the beauty and the majesty and the glory of your word, even, even something like numbers. We know that your spirit is capable of making that beautiful to us, Lord. Give us wisdom as we step forward in faith, trusting what you have said so that we could have more repose, so that we could have a state of tranquility that's based on the sure foundation of your son. In your name I pray, amen.